You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, well, good morning, River. I hope that you're having a good Mother's Day. I want to give uh, all the moms a shout out. We are grateful for you. I'm sorry that you can't uh, be doing uh, maybe some of the things that you would normally do uh, on Mother's Day, but I hope that you're able to get out and do something and be a blessing. And uh, kids, I hope that if you haven't gotten your mom breakfast in bed, that uh, maybe you can make her lunch and do the dishes for her. I don't know. But uh, I also want to take just a second. And, you know, Mother's Day is not just for, um, for our moms who are living, but all of us should take a second and we should give thanks to God for our moms, for what they've done in our lives and how God has used them. And I'm grateful uh, for my mom. I'm grateful for... Uh, the moms who just have faithfully lived and pointed us to Christ and uh, lived out the gospel. So happy Mother's Day to you. Well, this morning I want to share with you out of 2 Thessalonians and share with you a passage that uh, has just really been encouraging to me. As we've been talking the last couple of weeks, Paul is, is talking to a church who's under tremendous persecution, tremendous affliction, and he started out by encouraging them, and then he kind of shared some hard things last week and even a little bit the week before. Well, he kind of comes back this week to where he's really encouraging them and giving them uh, a reason why they should stand firm today in their gospel faith, that their, their, their faith should be really firm, not just generic faith, you know, but faith in the gospel. I, when I was in college, I worked uh, a little bit uh, building houses. I was a, I don't know, maybe the technical word would be a carpenter's apprentice, but I was the low man, if you will. Uh, whatever low job had to be done, that was mine. But I also learned some good things uh, along that. And I can remember one house that we were building, and it was just the, the master carpenter and me, and uh, the, the hole had been dug, the foundation had been poured. I don't remember how large of a house, but these were all custom homes and really intricate, and, and we were the first guys there on the job. And our job was to take that foundation that had been poured and those, those metal anchors, those bolts, that were coming up out of the foundation and we were to lay the sill plate uh, all along that and to, to square it up and to make sure that everything was good because the rest of the house would be built according to those specs. And so, you know, we measured and, and checked all of that out. And, and once we were, were satisfied and settled, we'd lay those, that, that pressure treated wood on top of that foundation and we would bolt that down that wood that plate down to the to the foundation and the reason was is where these houses were being built in any house you you don't want it shifting you don't want the wind or the weather or, or anything to to hit it and, and move it off its foundation that it needs to be strong and secure well paul is sharing us with this this morning that we have a firm foundation in the gospel and that because of that foundation, that, that foundation that we have, that we should stand firm today and that our lives should be productive and fruitful, that regardless of what might blow in and out and what storms are going on, that we have a firm foundation in the gospel of Jesus. So I want to share with you this morning just three basic things that, that in our past, that we have a, a saved past that is our foundation. And because of that, that we have a standing present, that we should stand today in the present based on that incredible foundation, and that in the future that we know that we're going to be strengthened, 
strengthened in our walk, strengthened as we move forward and as we live out our life and as we minister and serve. So Paul is kind of coming back to really encourage us and help us. So take your Bible, if you would, grab Second uh, Thessalonians toward the, the end of the New Testament and read with me, if you will. Paul says this in verse 13, he says this. He said, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, or therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions, not generic traditions, but the traditions of the gospel, traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Every good work and every good word is, is what He's saying to us. I want us to notice first off that the foundation that Paul reminds us of is that, that we have a, a saved past for those who have received Jesus as Lord of their life that are born again, that have been bought by His blood, that the foundation upon which we stand is a saved past, that our past is secure, that, that, that we have an incredible foundation that He's given us. Now, I wish we had time to go into depth in all of the descriptions that Paul gives us here just in these first couple of verses that I read, but, but let me hit a couple of them. The first one I want you to notice that he tells us that our salvation is, is within God loving us. As he talks to them, he says, he just dresses them as brothers beloved by the Lord. He says, guys, God has a deep, deep and abiding love for you. We know that God loves us. But what struck me anew and afresh and as, as a reminder is that here Paul is talking to his friends and he's saying, God loves you, man. The God of the universe, of all the things in this world that He could love, and all of the people in this world, and all of the things that He has done, He loves you, beloved, deeply loved by God. You know, I don't think as a pastor that uh, I've told us that, you know, here in this setting that God loves you, but I'm, I, I must admit I was a bit convicted that I don't recall telling too many people, hey man, God loves you. And all this that you're going through, that God Himself loves you. What's also significant about this is that salvation for God is not mechanical. It, it comes out of, our, out of His love for us. That's the motivation. That's the, the well out of which God reaches down to us and, and, and saves us. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can, especially if you've been in church a long time and have heard the truth of the gospel a long time, if we're not careful, we can kind of take it for granted. And we can almost relegate it to like a, a vending machine. You know, you, you put your quarters in the machine, or maybe today you put your bills or credit card in the machine, and you put your little buttons, and, and out comes this wonderful goodness of love. Maybe that candy bar or whatever it is that you're buying. And 
what we need to realize this morning is, is that God is not like that vending machine. It's not that we just punch some buttons and out comes salvation and everything's good. It's not like we read the specs on the insurance and we read the fine print and we pay our money and now we've got insurance. But instead, this is a love relationship that the God of heaven wants to walk with us and wants to express life with us and that he, he loves us in the middle of all that's going on. In the middle of all the affliction, you see, the church, as we talked about, was under tremendous pressure and persecution on the outside and confusion on the inside, and they were being pushed and pulled in the middle of it. And Paul just wanted to just kind of hit the pause button and say, guys, God loves you. I don't know about you, but for me to just to think even this morning that me, me who's inconsequential and insignificant in this universe, that God loves me. That in the middle of whatever I'm struggling with in my own life to get my heart right with Him and to deal with all the weirdness and junk in my own soul, that God loves me. In the middle of facing all the, the little things and whether the minutia are, are eating me up with the to-dos that I've got to do or the big things and the big concerns, God loves me. When I think about my kids, God loves them. And gives me a security that they can go off into the world because I know God loves them. And he's well able to do way more than I can for them. So remember this morning, I want you to know that God loves you. In the middle of what's going on in your world, the personal things, the financial things, the things at work, the things in your family relationships, that God wants to remind you that God loves you. And the expression of this love, he tells us, is for our salvation. He goes on. He says, get this, God loves you. But he says, I'm thanking God, and I ought to, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. God chose us. God reached down, and we were helpless. We were like that abandoned little kitten who's so young, whose eyes aren't even open, that are abandoned by the dumpster and left to die or to come what may. That God reached down in our helplessness to save us. To save us out of a sea of sin, out of, a, out of a, a, an eternity of punishment and judgment for our, our sins and our disobedience before a holy God. That God reached down and He delivered us and He, he purposely chose us, chose us for Himself. Reached down when we were helpless, reached down when we were entangled in, in, in our own junk and made the mess in our lives, because we're not just helpless in this world, we're not just uh, victims, if you will, and, and stuck, but we're also on the flip side, we cause the mess in our own heart and our life, and all of the junk that we've gotten into, and the sins and the wrongs that we've done, that, that God said, out of all of that, He reached down and said, I choose you, and I'm going to save you. You see, River, this is the foundation of our security. Our security is not found in mottos. I read a motto uh, again, and I've, I've seen it pop up lately. You know, New York is tough, and, and I, mottos are good, and that can be a good thing to encourage us. But I, can I tell you, mottos, mottos will only get you so far. You know, slogans will only get you so far, and they can be good reminders. But what Paul is putting down deep into our soul more than a motto, more than something to just keep in your mind, food for thought. He's given us a reality. 
that our salvation is so secure because at the end of the day, God reached down and snatched us out of that. And he says, you are saved by my doing, by my choosing, by my work. You see, our lostness is on us. But our savedness, if I could say it that way, is on God. God's not responsible for our lostness. And we're not responsible for our savedness. Now, some people get nervous about all of this. And, 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 and churches and Christians have been trying to work out this holy mystery of salvation for millennia, literally thousands of years. But my, my understanding, guys, of Scripture is this is much like riding a bike. When I was in high school, my dad and I raced bicycles and uh, we would, would ride a lot and it was good exercise and all of that. And, and our racing tires were less than an inch wide. And uh, believe it or not, I mean, the faster you go on a bike, the more stable it was. And it was very easy to keep it upright, but the bikes were light and nimble. And, but, but when we think about the sovereignty of God, of God choosing us, and we think about the responsibility of humans that God commands us to respond to the gospel and to be saved. And we read last week that people will be deceived and are deceived, not because just because the deception is so powerful, it is, but because they refuse the truth. They don't want to know it. They don't want to hear it. So that lostness is on them. But those two responsibilities, the, or our responsibility as a human is the sovereignty of God are like the two sides on the bicycle wheel. If you go too far on one way or too far on the other way, you're going to fall over. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to go in a ditch. And both of those realities are, are taught in Scripture. So don't diminish either of those. But Paul is focusing right now saying, you are so secure and have such a foundation that no matter what's going on in the persecution and the temptation and the affliction, that God chose you. And don't ever forget it. You're the first fruits of the gospel, he said to the Thessalonians. We're, we're not quite the first fruits. We're a couple thousand years later. Maybe we're the middle fruits, but I'm just glad to be one of those fruits, if, if you know what I mean. Notice that this, this gospel is God choosing us to be saved, and he does it through the sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in the truth. Those two things are together. Sanctification in the Bible means God setting us apart, making us different, making us like Him, making us holy. In this particular context, it's not just the God removing us of sin and, 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 and God growing us more and more in Him is what we usually think of sanctification. But what He's really talking about is that God in heaven chose you, but the Holy Spirit actuated, empowered, electrified the circuit, if salvation circuit in your life, if you will, just... He's the one that moved this thing along and brought you from being stuck in your own sin and a life of offending God and a life opposed to God, a life ignoring God, a life just taking God for granted and putting Him on a shelf to a life that was surrendered to Him. And the Holy Spirit was the one who moved you along. The first person that ever saw that up and close. It wasn't me. We don't notice that in our life. When God's doing that, the Holy Spirit works invisibly and and every person that trusts Christ, I, I've never seen anyone say, oh, I really see you know, exactly what God's doing. It's the people who are around them see it, not that individual. We can now look back and say, wow, I see what God was doing then. But when you're in the middle of it and God's bringing you from that place of doubt or that place of atheism or that place of bondage to sin and bringing you out of the depths of that and slowly but surely awakening your heart and your mind and soul to God. There's a progress that can be seen. And the first person I ever saw that was actually my wife. And I had, we were in college and I had shared the gospel with her. And frankly, she didn't want to hear any of it. She didn't, she was offended by the, 
implications of the gospel as, as many people are and most people who aren't saved. And she got mad at me. Um, in fact, she wrote me a letter that she said she never wanted to see me again. And, and we were both, I think we were juniors in college that year. But I watched her as she went from being offended and angry to coming back in, in the middle of that friendship to then going from anger to beginning to ask questions. Then from, from asking questions, beginning to read the Bible and beginning to read the Gospel of John. And she would ask me questions that, honestly, I didn't have and know the answer to. And uh, don't ever be afraid when people ask you questions you don't know the answer to. Just say, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. Then go look it up or ask somebody who does know or read the Bible, but find it. And so I would ask and, and, and give her the answers and she'd say, well, that would make sense. And then I remember the day that when she came and she heard the gospel preached, for the first time in a, in a church service, really heard that and it impacted her. And she knew that she needed to receive Jesus as Lord of her life. You see, the Holy Spirit was the one who was sanctifying her, moving her along, leading her invisibly in that. Paul wants us who are followers of Christ to look back in the middle of the tribulation and troubles that, man, if this world falls apart, if whatever happens. So I'll give me an example. If COVID-19 gets, gets worse and it becomes COVID-22, that we should look back and say, man, but the God of heaven saved me and chose me. And I remember when the Holy Spirit was setting me apart. And I believe that truth. I believe that truth of the gospel. When the going gets tough, that's when we need to rely on that firm foundation in our life. And Paul is saying we have a very deep foundation. The taproot of this, the, the root of the tree that goes down deep, is that God chose us. But there's other roots in here. And the Holy Spirit was the one who brought us and set us apart. Not our doing. That was His doing. And along the way, we responded to the gospel and we believed. And we're commanded that and we stepped up. We believed the truth that the Lord Jesus died on the cross and rose again and only He could save us. And we went all in and surrendered our life to Him. Paul says, keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's where your stability comes from. You see, River, part of what I think is going on right now with COVID-19, there's a lot of things that God's doing. We've talked some about this. But God is kicking away the crutches and the things that we've relied on in our life that we shouldn't be. And He's get, making us get lean and mean, refining us. We've, sometimes we can let our spiritual life be like a knife that gets dull and we just, and He's sharpening that edge and He's honing it. And that's what He's doing with this church that we're reading about is He's like, guys, when it comes down to it, your mottos aren't gonna work and all your little things aren't gonna work. It's the fact that you know the Lord Jesus, that God in heaven saved you and you're redeemed, and He chose you, and He delivered you from sin. And He, he goes on, and we could talk more. I probably need to move on, but He, he says he, he calls us in verse 14. He says, to this He called you through the gospel. When I call my dog, dog, dog Tavi, it is not a request. It is a command. Tavi, come. I've trained him, and he knows that he's to come. Now, sometimes he doesn't want to. He always comes. Every once in a while, he's like, yeah, I'm going to delay this a few seconds. For me, it is not an option for him. I'm calling him. I'm calling him to myself. I've got a purpose for him. I want him to be with me. 
Maybe I want to get them inside. Maybe I don't want, who knows, but I want them to be there with me. That's what this is. This is not God calling us on the phone, hoping we answer, don't answer. It's God summoning us to himself and saying, I got a purpose for you. I want you with me. And our job is to respond. That's the believing part that, that God calls us to himself through that gospel and we, and we believe. And the amazing thing with this to me is the whole purpose of this. Look at verse 14. Look at your Bible. Is so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does this for our good. He does all of this for us. I'm, I'm astounded by that. So that we can possess, that we can have, that we can obtain, that we can own, that we can enjoy for all of eternity the glory that belongs to our Lord Jesus, that He wants to share with us. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, 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 that God's Jesus' glory, we're in Him and we share in that. We don't, guys, we don't not only deserve that, that just, we cannot fathom the depth and the incredible nature of that. That God wants to share the glory belongs to Himself with us. Guys, if that doesn't get you excited, that has nothing to do with the, who's preaching or sharing that. It has nothing to do with that person's ability. Those are truths that he says, guys, here's your foundation. All of that is in the past. It's secure. In fact, that glory that he wants, that he's sharing with us now, but really is going to be unveiled in heaven. In Romans chapter 8, he tells us that's in the past because everyone he chose, foreknew, he chose, and everyone he, he called, ultimately he justified, and those he justifies, he glorified. For God, that glorification is already done. It is a done deal. Glorified. So guys, the foundation that we have, the way we handle affliction and persecution and the things of life is that our salvation is in the past. It is, we, are, we have a saved, redeemed past. And because of that, he tells us to stand in the present. Now Paul gets to where he's trying to tell them. He's like, here's the backstory. Here's what I want you to do about it. And so River, here's what we need to do about it. This is about us standing today. He says in verse 15, so then brothers, stand firm. Based on these truths, based on this incredible reality, stand firm and hold. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by spoken word or by our letter. I might say today, whether in person or by, you know, by video or by Zoom or YouTube or whatever. Paul said, hold to those traditions. Now, guys, there's a lot of Christian religious traditions out there. This is not an injunction for us to keep traditions of the church. This is not an injunction that whenever we want to do something new for church to say, but wait a minute, Paul said we're supposed to hold to those traditions. Uh, no, N no. Paul didn't teach those traditions. Paul, Paul didn't teach most of the traditions that we keep in a church. In fact, there's very little of what we actually do in a church that, that are most of its traditions. It's what we believe is what matters. The expressions of those things can change and morph over time. What Paul taught them, I just shared it a minute ago. He said, he called you by the truth of our gospel. Paul said, I came elsewhere. He said, I came to know nothing and to teach you nothing but to Jesus Christ and 
Him crucified. He said in the book of Acts, when he's writing to those Ephesians leader, I taught you publicly and from house to house, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the sum of his teaching. That's the traditions that he's sharing is that it's all about this gospel. And Paul says, stand in the truths of the gospel that we are saved by Jesus and by Jesus alone and not by traditions of the church, not by denominations, not by what mom and dad believed, grandma and granddad, those from the old country. It's only by the gospel of Jesus. Paul said, hold to those teachings. In fact, because we hold to those teachings, we're supposed to let go from time to time of traditions. He says, stand firm in that. Think about it this way. We, God wants us to be like a tree, that our roots go down deep into that gospel. The reason a tree is able to stand against the storm is because it has a deep root system. And guys, we have a, a deep root system that cannot be, cannot be affected, cannot be blown over. But he tells us that because of that, we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to stand. In fact, we have the ability to stand. That we don't need to fall over. We don't need to cave. We don't need to fear and fall in when it comes to our faith or even our life or the outgrowth of it, that we stand today because of the root system that God has put deep into our life and all of the truths of that gospel, like the roots, the nutrients that come up out of that soil, keep us alive and vigorous and help us to stand and to hold to those truths. Now, sometimes in churches we think that, well, we believe that gospel and we're going to hold to that. And we do need to believe it. We need to hold it just as I'm preaching and teaching to you. But for Paul, it was more than that. That's good. And that is a good start. But for Paul, it was more than that. Our life, the gospel needs to be the outflow of everything in our life. See, standing firm in the gospel means when you go to work. Because the gospel roots are inside of you. When you get teased or somebody rolls your eyes, their eyes because of your faith. Or you know that you're diminished or there's something going on. And you get the sense that it really is because you have a faith in Jesus. Paul says that we're to stand firm in that. Not to be jealous, not to be angry, not to be fearful. But that gospel should have an impact in our life. We're to have gospel homes and gospel marriages where what rules the day is not anger. There's not manipulation and not threats. But that gospel that Jesus saves and forgives our sins and transforms our life and glorifies us. We share in that glory and that goodness of our Lord Jesus. He expects that to reflect in our marriages. So we treat our wives well and our husbands well. The love and the respect that both deserve. And that we, we lead and, and guide and, and invest in our kids, not so that they can be great and have a wonderful life. Yes, that's great and good. But so that they can know the Lord of heaven and experience the same blessing and the same glorification and all that God gives. That the gospel should, should flow into our soul and impact our whole life. That's part of the life change that we talked about. That's what it means to stand firm in our faith and to hold on to those truths, not just in our mind or our 
profession of faith, those are important. It starts there. But that the outgrowth of it, that we're holding to those incredible redeemed truths, that we are a people that God had loved and he saved out of that sin, saved us out of that cesspool of sin and out of the eternal judgment of fire that was coming our way. And he changes us. So he says, stand firm and you can do it. It is you have the ability to do that because he's commanding us. Now, we know in the middle of all of this, this is kind of the oxymoron that the only reason we can stand firm is because we've got an incredible root system that really is, belongs to God. That it's almost like, well, very much is like, we might have a hold of Jesus because we believe, but reality is, is the Lord Jesus has a hold of us and God's got us. So it's within our ability in all of these circumstances and situations of life to stand firm. Make sure that you're relying on that gospel, not pet slogans, not other things of life, not all the things that the world around you is going to right now, all the vices that are happening and all of the crutches. We've only got one, and it's our Lord Jesus in the gospel. Well, let me share with you the, the third thing. The third thing is that that we not only are able to stand because we have this saved past and we're to stand in our present, but we have a strengthened future. Notice what Paul says in, in verse 16. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he doesn't delegate this to an angel. We shouldn't be focusing on angels. We should be focusing on him and God our Father who loved us and gave eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort or we'll see in a minute, strengthen and encourage your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Paul utters a prayer. He says, guys, now that you've got this, you're saved in your past, you're standing in your present because of that salvation. I want you to look and know my prayer for you is, and here's what you get to look forward to in your future, that, that you will be strengthened in your future. He says, God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father have already given you eternal comfort and a, a good hope, a hope that is good through grace. Notice that, that he tells us our future to be, our hearts to be comforted and established is based, really, our future is still based in what he's already done in the past, is that he's already given us an eternal comfort that word comfort, we don't, uh, we don't give it a fair shake. It's the same word that is described of the Holy Spirit, that he's our comforter. And, and it's the, the English word comfort means literally with strength, fortification. If you order, go out to eat and you order something con carne, that, that con means with, with meat. The come in Latin is the, the with, just like the con in Spanish, it means with. And it means with fortification. So, and, and that word comfort in, in the original Greek also means to come alongside. So the sense is this. It's the sense that God says, I've already given you a come alongside, a strengthening, encouraging. Encourage just means courage that is put in, inside of you. You see, God sent the Holy Spirit to us to be that one to come alongside us and that one to strengthen us, to comfort us, not just to help us when we fall down and there, there, that's okay, you'll be okay, but more than that, 
to encourage us and to, to strengthen us by his presence in our life. When my family and I uh, did our roof last, redid our roof last year, and I'm grateful for the, a couple of the guys that, that helped in our church. Can you especially thank you for helping do the hard stuff and get our chimneys all fixed? My, when, we, when we tore the old roof off, everything looked great. And you, know, you never know how much water penetration and rot you've got. And you don't really know what you're looking at on any project until you pull everything out. And it can be a lot worse and, or not. And, and it looked great except for one area. I had a chimney that had no flashing in it. And so water had penetrated and gotten down into through that and had rotted away one of my rafters that was running right alongside my chimney. And so to fix it, I had to cut out a sizable section of my rafter and had to, to take the saw and cut that out. And, and I had to put new wood in there. And, and so what I did was I cut a piece that would fit in the middle. And then I cut another longer piece that came alongside that weaker piece to span that joint, to sister alongside. That's the picture. God, the Holy Spirit, comes alongside us to strengthen and to shore up and to support and to, to comfort us when it's needed, to encourage us along the way to put that courage in. And God has already done that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not something that you seek. That's something that you look back and say, oh, I've already got that. See, most of us are walking around as Christians and, and God's given us a wagon load of resources, if you will, a car load of just strength and support and all kinds of things. And we ignore it. We just forget it. It's there and we act like we're destitute and broke and clueless and, and you know, just like the world's going to fall apart. And God's like, I've already given you an incredible strength in your life through the presence of God himself, myself. And it's an eternal comfort, not just a comfort that lasts in eternity. It is that, but it's more than that. It's the comfort, the strengthening that is by nature eternal that is by nature supernatural, that is by nature defies all that's on this earth. It is an eternal comfort. It is a comfort that cannot be shaken, that cannot be altered, cannot be taken. It's above everything that we've ever known. I, I can't confirm this, but I believe this. And I've listened hard in the middle of even just this crisis that we're going through. And for some, it's, uh, as we've talked about, for some it's more nuisance, for some it's legitimate crisis, and there's all kinds of things in between. But as I've listened, I sense from those who I know are following Christ that they handle these things so much better. And it's because there's an eternal comfort. There's that eternal strengthening in us. That's not to say that we don't struggle and have moments of falling apart or whatever. We're, we're human and sinful and all of that. But overall, we have that eternal comfort. And Paul is telling us, he says, guys, I want you to be secure in this, that your strength in the future is a done deal. And I'm praying that that God would give you, that he's already given you an eternal comfort and a hope that is good, an expectation of good. I'm praying that he would continue to work that in. I've gone turkey hunting, I don't know, two, three times this, this spring already. It's been nice. Problem is the turkeys are social distancing from me. I wish they wouldn't. I wish they'd get a little bit closer. So we haven't quite gotten there, but we've gotten close. But the reason I go turkey hunting, even if the last three times or so we haven't gotten anything, is because I have an expectation that it's not only possible, but the next time will be the time. And that's what Paul's telling us. He's like, our look, as we look to the future, we expect God's already given us this good hope that's by nature's future. 
that the future that God has for us is good by his grace. See, in every situation in our life, we need to look and say, you know what? I got a firm foundation. My past is secure in Jesus. I'm going to stand in this and I'm going to look forward to that with a hope of good and the grace that God is going to meet me in the middle of whatever that I'm going through. It is like that tree that our tap roots are in the gospel and his salvation. We're standing firm in this. And just like the trees today, as they're this spring, as they're beginning to bud and they're beginning to try to stretch and put out leaves, they're trusting that it's finally going to get warm. Even if we are <laughs> getting snow this weekend, they're expecting that the sun is going to come out and, and they're putting forth that effort that good things are going to come. That's what Paul is telling us in these verses. He's saying, I'm praying that that God would strengthen your heart and establish it, stabilize it, not make it afraid, move you past worry, move you past all the things that will destabilize it. Today we would say move, move through and address the things that are mental illness and all the other stuff that we struggle with in our life but to establish that heart and all of the feelings and emotions and the things that we think about and all of that to strengthen and comfort us and to establish us for every good word and the way this is written in the original, for every good work. See, the two things, the way that we don't get blown away by affliction, by the persecution that happens in our home when we get ridiculed. We don't, we don't, for the most part, face life-threatening things in the U.S. There are some individuals who do for their faith, but it's not that common. But the, what we do face is the, the ridicule, the social ostracization, the personal with family or work. And Paul says the way that we walk through any of that or any affliction is the same. Our past is secure. We're standing firm. We look forward with a hope. And because we have that hope, we're going to speak and act our words and our works out of that same gospel life with all the nutrients that flow up and through our branches and through our life. That we're not going to let any of the affliction, any of the threats, any of the persecutions cause us to talk differently, to keep our mouths quiet and hide the gospel, to hide our lifestyle because of our Lord Jesus. And we're not going to stop serving and reaching out to those around us. You see, the way we stand up under persecution or affliction is by boldly moving forward in our faith, not just what we believe, but in our actions. When the church was persecuted early on, the apostles prayed that they might have boldness. And the Bible says the place was shaken. River, I, I believe at times we get we're, we are shaken, not the place around us by courage, but we get shaken. And the Bible tells us that we should stand firm and stand tall. And that life-giving gospel should flow out of our mouth and into our, whether it's our social media, by putting things out there or inviting people or sharing things that, that we even put out as a church, but by you engaging with people. Enduring whatever you need to endure as a result of that. And by continuing to serve an area that I'm convicted of as a church, and I don't know if conviction is the right word, but you know, we're in a lull right now a little bit because of COVID-19 and there's a lot of stuff going on, but we were in a little bit of a lull ministry-wise with 
I just I've watched over the last year or two is just a number of the community service projects we've had have been to a large degree kind of stripped away and I feel like we're coming out of this as we come out of this this summer and fall and winter that I really pray that God gives us some places that we can serve not just Sunday mornings when we're here and not just to one another but out in the world around us so that the gospel would shine through that's who we're to be known about so River this morning I encourage you to take hope, to take courage, to allow the God of heaven to comfort and strengthen you, to take stock in what he's already put inside of you. Don't live in a life of scarcity, and that's not talking about money. Live in a life of thriving of all of his grace and goodness that he's given to you. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be challenged to even now to be looking for those opportunities to continue to share that word and those words of hope and encouragement, a reason for the hope that lies within you to find those opportunities to minister on your own and to serve and to, to serve as his ambassador in this world around us. That's actually where our hearts get strengthened and established as we share in those words and as we share in those deeds. So River, as I wrap this message up, I just want you to think about and talk about those things, maybe reflect on how you came to Christ, maybe share that as a family, as a testimony, but would you share about those things and and if, uh, if you want to continue the video, that in just a moment, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And uh, if that's something that just for whatever reason you aren't ready for or might be even a little odd for you, that's okay. Uh, you can reflect on this time. But if that would be meaningful your time now or maybe even during dinner, want to have something later tonight or this week or whatever, you may want to cue back to this and share this with your family. That's what we did last, um, last month as our family actually uh, read the passage of Scripture, and, and we shared in the Lord's Supper right after dinner, just as the early church did. So, River, God bless you, and uh, I pray you have a good week. And if you're going to participate in our Lord's Supper, just stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, River, I'm glad that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I, I know we're not really together, but... Um, you know, we ought to find creative ways. Our Lord Jesus told us that this is uh, a key way, an important way that we, re we remember and celebrate his death for us till he comes. And so uh, God in heaven doesn't do social distancing from us as his children, and, uh, and we shouldn't from him as well. And this is part of our worship. And so I encourage you that even if this is uh, maybe a little unusual for you, it might be, seem a little odd, you know, even the way that every church that I know today, we celebrate the Lord's Supper very differently. Um, when Jesus did it with his apostles, they were reclining on the floor, leaning across the table, and it was just, you know, the, the 11 or 12 were there, and, and it was a part of a meal, and, and uh, just the arrangement was very different than what any church that I've ever been in has participated in. And it, it, that's part of what I talked about earlier, that it's really what we believe more than just the expressions or the, tr the traditions and maybe how we do things. So I encourage you that in this moment to, you know, even as a family to, to share and, and lead out in this, uh, dad and um, or, or mom, if you're there or with you or your kids and, you know, talk about those things um, and how that, uh, that what's important is what the Bible says and what we believe and not the form and the shape that those things take. And so I'm going to read the passage that Paul the Apostle shared with the church in Corinth, and they were struggling to participate this, in this well. And because of it, it had some, they had some real spiritual consequences. Paul said, some of you are 
actually dying um, because you didn't you didn't treat this with honor and seriousness and the the importance uh, that this is this really isn't literally the body and blood of our Lord Jesus it's a representation it's a metaphor just as Jesus that night when he was with them and said take eat this is my body he didn't say take eat this is my body <laughs> uh, it, it's a picture it's a metaphor a picture that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood paid our sin debt, our, the consequences of our sin for all of eternity. And, and it's because of, of what this reflects, that represents the gospel, that we have all the hope in the things that I just talked about a minute ago. And so it's, it's appropriate and apropos for us to share in this today. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23, he says, For I received from the Lord, Paul got it directly from him, what I also delivered to you, got it from the Lord Jesus and gave it to them. He said that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. This would have been unleavened bread, bread without any yeast or rise to it. That's why we use you know, crackers or something that's unleavened. And he said this, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, the, the new agreement, the new relationship between God and people that comes to us through the blood of our Lord Jesus. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember our Lord and what he's done for us, the price that he paid, and remember all the things that I just talked about. Do this in remembrance of me, he said. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming back. And with what I just shared this morning, when he comes back, we will receive the full glorification. We will share in that with him. It's amazing that we can be so selfish as human beings. And our Lord God in heaven is so unbelievably gracious that he shares the very core of his glory with us. And we'll share with that when he comes. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.